0: Ah uh, yes. I love that movie. It's a great movie. Um, thanks for letting us be a little PG this morning. Hope that's okay. Uh, kids are gone. Uh, welcome. My name is Bobby. Uh, I am the music pastor here, and so normally I'm doing what Sylvia is doing, and every once in a while they uh, uh, let me off my leash and get to speak to you guys. and so um, thanks for letting me do that. Uh, we're in this series in Matthew. 28 days uh, in the book of Matthew, and we're calling it Words to Live By because there's just lots of good little nuggets that we can draw from. And so we have this this uh, reading plan that we've been encouraging uh, you all to participate in as well so that we truly are going through it together. And so you can find out all information. If you haven't started, that's okay. You could just jump on board now and be uh, just start reading. It's a chapter a day for 28 days. And as we're going through that together, we're pulling stories For Sunday, when we talk about here, so we're not necessarily going in order, uh, but we're just pulling some stories that we can kind of just together talk about and and learn from. And so uh, last week, J.P. Jones was here and he gave a great message on uh, Matthew nine and saying that we need to see as Jesus saw, we need to feel as Jesus felt, we need to do as Jesus did. Uh, It was incredibly inspiring. Uh, The week before, Damian gave this great, compelling uh, message to just come to Him, all who are weary. And burden, and that was a life-giving message as well. And so we're going to continue on that uh, path today, and we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter three, which revolves around the baptism of Jesus. Before we dive in, let me just tell you a little bit about where just where just kind of I'm at, even just as showing up here on a Sunday morning, as all of you have as well. I am in that weird state of being so exhausted, and yet feeling very full. Uh, I know Sylvia already talked about, but for those of you that were here on Friday night, there was about 900 people that showed up here just to sing praises to God with this band that is... Yeah, it was... And, uh, uh, you know, many of our team and Harper and I, we got to spend much of the day with them just because there was a lot to do to prepare and... And we got to just sit and talk. They, they did this worship leaders luncheon, which was so great. Uh, we, we, we facilitate this pastor's lunch once a month, and it just happened to be scheduled on the same day. So we actually combined it. So we had 50 pastors and worship leaders in a room with the guys uh, and Leslie in the band, just addressing them and asking them soul questions. Not practice questions, not worship questions, you know, not music questions. Not like, how do you how do you pull off a great church service? It was, where's your heart at? What are you struggling with right now? Where do you go with that struggle? They ministered to pastors and worship leaders in the area, and it was it was beautiful. So to see their heart for ministering to people, and then to see that come to life on uh, when they uh, led us on Friday night, it was just a beautiful thing. So. Yeah, a long long week um, for, for me, a lot of, a lot of hours, a lot of, a lot of time spent, but also feeling very blessed and very full, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow where I can unplug <laughs> and take a nap. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into uh, uh, Matthew chapter 3. If you have a book, a book, a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it. If you don't have one, just go get one. You don't, have to, like, you don't have to raise your hand. If you want to raise your hand, we'll have some people that'll help out and uh, get you one. But otherwise, we're, it's like a big living room. Just go and get one. Like, self-serve. And you're more than welcome to keep it if you don't have one. So we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 3. It's a short chapter. And so we're actually just going to read the whole thing to kind of set the stage of what we're going to be talking about today. So you can uh, follow along as I read this. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan river but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to where he was baptizing he said to them you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves we have abraham as our father i tell you that out of these stones god can raise up children for abraham the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, and then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So Matthew 3. So I would imagine, you have John the Baptist in the Jordan River, baptizing all these people, that it probably was a kind of similar look and feel to what we just watched. A lot of people that were uh, coming down and coming out of the woodwork to, to hear this message and respond. And so, if... If you're anything like me, I will oftentimes kind of be a little bit skeptical when I read scripture when I see a story like this. So, this story poses some problems for me. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Here you have John the Baptist making this call for repentance to confess your sins because judgment is coming. And Jesus says, I need to be baptized. But yet, we learn that Jesus is without sin. So What is he doing? Is he showing off? Is he, well, you know, why, why did he have to go, go through this whole thing? Well, we're going to unpack the story a little bit, and I hope that by the end of our time here, we're going to kind of have two little trains of thought. We're going to spend a little bit of time about just the historical context of what's happening and why did it make sense, and then we're going to fast forward into, like, what do we take away from that today? What is it that we can learn from some of the characters in the story or the nature and character of God that's relevant to us in 2014 in our very real uh, disturbed lives? So let's look at some of the historical context of what's going on. When I started to dig and do a little bit of research just to see why, why did Jesus have to do this? Why, what was the point other than just to kind of be like a, a big spiritual spotlight? What was the point? And what I uncovered was really fascinating and really interesting. And I hope it's helpful for you as you are reading the story and going through the book of Matthew yourself. It'll hopefully give you a little bit of framework to, to read it a little bit differently. If you look at the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, which Jesus is the fulfillment of, one of the, the, there is like this checklist or this criteria. One of the things was that he had to, you know, they talk about the lineage, that he had to be son of Abraham and a son of Adam. Um, But they also talked about that he would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to go into all of of where that came from or why that was important. But in order to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, there was this checklist that you had to fill in order to be recognized as one of those priests. And so this is what's going to give us some of that clue as to what was happening fast forward to John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. One of the first requirements to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, he had to be 30 years old. I always wondered, why did Jesus wait? He could have been, you know, he could have been flipping tables as a teenager. He could have been doing all that stuff early on. But in order to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah coming in the order of Melchizedek, he had to be 30. So he waited patiently. When the other requirements of the order of these priests was you had to be washed with water. So he had to be baptized in order to fulfill this role as priest. Another requirement of the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek was you had to be anointed with oil. Going all the way back into the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament as well, oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's why they would anoint people with this oil to represent God's blessing, God's Spirit being on them. Jesus waits at least 30. He is washed with water. As he comes up out of the water, what happens? Holy Spirit appears as a dove and descends on him. He's fulfilling that he is being anointed. And the last part, and there's probably a lot of other things, but the ones that we're going to focus on right now, very interesting. The last part in order to be recognized as a a priest in the order of Melchizedek was verbal confirmation. So what happens? He's washed. He's anointed with oil. The heavens part and God himself gives verbal confirmation. This is my son whom I am well pleased. So you look at all of these things, these historical things, and you kind of go, oh, It makes sense now. And then the job of the priest in this time, the job of the priest was to offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. So you look at what he was preparing himself to do. He was aligning himself with the prophecy that the the Savior would be in the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek so that he himself could be the sacrifice. For his people. That's amazing. It takes on this whole different uh, context when you read it that way. Like, wow. And so, as you read that, again, I wanted just to kind of give you some of that so you can just say, man, there's some, some real reasoning. For those of you that are skeptical like me, can kind of put some of those, those to rest and say, okay, it makes sense. I get why he's doing that. It's actually a really, really pretty uh, beautiful picture of what he's doing. But I think there's another part of the story that I want to turn into here. Let's look at John. What's going on with John? John the Baptist, not John the one that self-proclaims as the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) John the Baptist, he has this very unique uh, and special relationship with God. He has a special relationship with Jesus, specifically. John the Baptist is the one who leapt in the womb of Elizabeth when he came in contact Mary, who was with child with Jesus. So in the womb, there was this connection with Jesus. There was this response of, of, of connection and relationship there. And so John the Baptist, he, from birth had this special understanding and sense of mission. And when you look at his role, he's saying he's fulfilling the prof- prophecy of Isaiah, saying there's going to be one calling out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. When I think about preparing the way, I don't think that that's as a pretty of a picture as you may think. I kind of think of John the Baptist as a church planner. If, if you've ever come across a pastor who's a church planner. More times than not, they are planning this church because they have this deep sense of passion that something's not being said in the church that needs to be said. Something has to be done that's not being done, and we have to do this. And I'm going to have to, you know, plan a church in order to get this message out because it's that important. That's kind of what John the Baptist was like. For any of you that are in like agriculture or farming or anything like that, when you think of preparing the way or clearing the way, it usually involves a machete. You're gonna be like knocking stuff over and uh, working really hard. So you gotta gotta have some grit if you're gonna be that guy. You gotta be willing to, to ruffle some feathers. You gotta be willing to stand up to some of the culture that may be saying otherwise. So John's message that he is coming with a lot of passion, as he looks around at the religious culture that's surrounding their area, he says, these people have no clue. They've got to repent. They think that they're above repenting. And so he comes with this passionate message. You better repent because the kingdom of heaven is near and judgment is coming. And just because all you religious people think that you're a descendant of Abraham... That that's your ticket into heaven, you're wrong. So get with it, because it's coming. So he has this bold message. He has this bold message that is preparing the way. He has a sense of purpose and mission. And he has a very public ministry. He is a very and he's kind of a weirdo. He dresses funny. I don't I don't know why the Holy Spirit you know inspired the writer to make sure we knew what he was wearing and what he was eating but there it is so he's kind of a he's a he's already kind of a, a little bit of a cultural misfit and he's okay with that so he's willing to stand up to culture he's willing to proclaim loudly he's willing to have this public ministry that has probably a few different kinds of eyes looking at him like what's going on here but you can also see that he was effective because He's proclaiming repentance, and people are coming. You know, people are streaming down to confess their sins and, and, and be baptized. So he's doing a good job, and he's doing what he was meant to do. And yet, he comes face-to-face face with Jesus, the one that he has a connection with from birth, and he crumbles. He doesn't just have doubt, he doubts himself. I I, I can't do this. You know, here's a guy that is standing up to just about anything and is willing to go there. And yet he comes face to face with Jesus and his response is, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. And so it leads me to ask, what is going on inside of John? What's going on inside of John that would have this upfront public ministry that then comes face to face with Jesus and he doubts himself? I would venture to say that a lot of pastors in ministry today Are a lot like John. They have a very public ministry. They have a lot of eyes looking at them. They're preaching something that at times may be countercultural, that may ruffle the feathers of current belief systems. And yet there's a seed of shame that tells them, I can't do this. I'm not worthy. I know I do. Here I am on a stage with lights illuminating me with a microphone so that my voice is louder than yours, and yet I feel that I can't do this. I'm not worthy to do this. My story is from a religious home, from a good Christian home that uh, was doing good things, And yet as I unpack that, I can see the seeds of shame that were planted. I approached so much of my interaction in church and my interaction with God from this this framework of shame, of believing that I I am not worthy. You know, for example... uh, my church, was a little, little Baptist church in Illinois, um, we would do communion like once a month. And appropriately, we would usually read the passage in 1 Corinthians about communion. And in it, it says to examine yourselves as to not participate in the elements in an unworthy manner. And in so doing, sinning against the body oh man, that just drove me down in a sense of shame, saying like, I can't examine myself enough. I know there's dark stuff in there, and I know that I'm not tapping it all. And I would approach the table with fear because I was afraid that I was doing it wrong, that I was somehow sinning against myself and against the the, the body of Christ because I knew that I wasn't fully able to uncover all the darkness that was in there. And I tried, and I would beg and plead with God and say, God, please examine my heart and reveal these things to me so that I can overcome them and participate this in this in a way that's worthy, because I know that I'm not. That seed of shame continues to take root, and you fast forward into marriage and to fatherhood. and it only gets bigger and louder. So there's this lie that the enemy has put in my head that starts to take root, that I can't possibly do this. You know, there's an element of performance in what I do with music, and that's okay. It's it's all right to say that there's performance in church. (laughs) But I struggled with that. I had a really hard time being able to either accept a compliment uh, for my abilities or because I felt like, well, it needed to be all about God, and if they're celebrating me, then I'm doing something wrong. And I, and I just could not receive it. So this little seed of shame that began to blossom in me started to actually hinder me from being able to hear and receive truth. I, I, I can't help but think that that's similar to what was going on in John. It's very public ministry, yet there's this little seed of shame in there that when he actually came face-to-face with Jesus, he wasn't able to go there. Uh, So I, you know, entered into lots of counseling and to try to uncover why and, you know, family of origin things and all that. There's a lot that goes into it. So Harper and I, we were at... Um, counseling, and we were kind of debriefing afterwards at a Starbucks, and this man came up to me, and it's one of you, because I I wish I knew his name. He didn't give me his name. I hadn't met him before, but it was somebody from, from here, and he came up to me, and he said, I'm sorry to interrupt, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I just want you to know that what you're doing is very important, and it's not unnoticed, and I pray for you every day. God bless you and keep up the good work. Those were life-giving words of truth. You know what my response was? Thanks. Because I had been so conditioned, so conditioned with this little seed of shame, that when somebody compliments me, whether it's about music or anything else, that I remove myself from and kind of go, okay, thanks. Cool. So I said, thank you. And, and he went on his way. And thankfully, Harper, she put her hand on my knee and was like, did you hear a word that he said to you? And I was, you know, and my response was like, well, yeah, I mean, he said, well, no. And she said, he was speaking truth into you. He was speaking words of life that were meant to encourage, not flatter you. They were meant to edify you, not to stroke your ego. And it was kind of like, oh, wow. It's dark. You know, the, the, the voice of lies was loud enough that I couldn't hear the voice of truth. And that has become, you know, definitely have been on a journey of knowing how to receive truth, knowing how to sit at the feet of Jesus and know that he's pleased with me. Because I believed that I had to examine all the stuff in my heart first and get it all right because otherwise I'm I'm doing it wrong. So, uh, fast forward another couple years, and uh, I had this experience, uh, again, sitting in a counselor's office, and we were just doing this kind of like prayer and meditation exercise. And so it wasn't like a weird thing. It wasn't hypnosis or anything weird like that. It was more of just kind of a guided prayer. And... And God revealed himself to me in a way that he never had before. Now, I mean, let me give you a disclaimer right now. This is my story. This isn't meant to be your story. This isn't meant to be prescriptive as to how you were supposed to interact with God or that, that God is going to reveal himself in this way or whatever. This is, this is my story that I'm actually rather protective of and was reluctant to even share it with you because I don't want my story to be reduced to a sermon illustration. So, I was in a pretty dark, dark place in terms of how I viewed the world, how I viewed myself, uh, and how, and knowing that that was impacting my marriage and my kids negatively, but I was, I felt stuck, and I felt kind of angry at God, like, why, why don't you just show up and do something, and just snap me out of this, and that wasn't really working, so, we're doing this guided prayer, and I'm able to engage enough that at least I'm, I'm, I'm present and, I, and I'm able to see Jesus. I'm still in my darkness, I'm still in my dark place, but I can see Jesus. And He comes over to me and He hands me a gift, Sim, you know, similar to this box. So I, I I take the gift and I'm I'm able to open it, and inside of it was a key. So I take this key and and I kind of look at Jesus and go, okay, a key, and he says, this is the key. To so unlock the door that will allow you to see yourself the way I see you. And I see this door. It's like a glass door, and it's almost, and there's glass walls, and I can see through it. And on the other side of it, it's just color, just like fireworks. And I turn the key, and I open the door, and it's just loud. It's just huge waves of sound. And Jesus invites me in. And as we walk in, he leads me into this long corridor, like closet type thing. And in this closet are just, it's lined with robes. All just, all pretty much the same. But just endless. And he says, pick one. And so I, I start walking down the hallway, and I'm kind of like letting my hands brush against the robes on either side. And I look back over my shoulder, and I see Jesus literally sitting like this, watching me with like a grin on his face, like a, like a dad watching his kid play t ball. Like, which one is he going to choose? Which one is he going to grab? So I pick one, he helps me put it on, and he says, how does it fit? I said, it's it's perfect. I can't even feel it. You know, I think about Damien's message of, come to me, all you who are weary, for my burden is light. And so he puts this robe on me, and then he just embraces me. And we just sit there and I fight it at first. And then I just kind of like melt. For those of you that have kids, when you hold on to your kid and you can feel them actually just kind of relax and head—you put their head on your shoulder, you don't ever want to let go. It doesn't matter that they just broke the window. <laughs> you don't care about that. You're not going to make them fix that first. <laughs> You're just there. I know. uh, If I had more time this week, I would have prepared this. I know that if I had pictures of my kids to put up on the screen, that I could say to you with my whole heart, this is my son, who I'm well pleased. (laughs) And I know how, you know, I'm flawed and sinful. And... Creator of the universe, the one that created me, is saying to me, This is my son who I'm well pleased. He's pleased with what he created. Bill Lenz came and talked to our staff, and he was giving us his story about how he began to idolize scripture. He had a verse for anything. That if if you came at him with a question or maybe even questioning his intentions or anything like that, he could like rapid fire, like shut you down with scripture. And in his own heart and soul, he realized he was idolizing scripture. And he said when in in a broken place, he heard the voice of God tell him, I love you enough to contend with your idolatry. I wasn't doing this willingly But I was idolizing my shame. Anytime anything takes seat where God is supposed to be seated, it's idolatry. And so I was starting to believe these lies about me that I'm unworthy, that I couldn't ever possibly perform enough for God. I better get my act together before I can ever expect to be effective in ministry because all along I've been in ministry for 17 years this is all while I'm doing this kind of stuff. And yet, still feeling like I had to rise above myself in order to find approval or acceptance from you, from God. When Delmer comes out of the water and he says, God and man's got nothing on me. You know, that sense of relief and freedom that he had, I hadn't experienced that yet. Jesus with a plus sign is idolatry. If it's Jesus plus fill in the blank, it's idolatry. And yet, God is saying, I love you enough to contend with your idolatry because I am pleased with the creation that I made and I am willing to fight with the lies that you've believed. When we talk about baptism, a lot of times the language that we use is the old has gone, the new has come. I'd like to reframe that a little bit and say the lies have been silenced and the truth has been redeemed. Because the truth of who we are was true before the foundations of the earth. God knew that you and I were going to be walking around earth in this time and space right here and now. He knew that before the foundations of the earth. And he was pleased with what he was going to create. And he also knew that the enemy was going to plant seeds of lies and shame to make you believe otherwise. And if you hear nothing else this morning... It's that God is pleased with what he has created. And he's willing to fight for you through those lies. So that you and I both can get to a place where the voice of truth becomes louder than the voice of lies. That those lies will lose their power And that we can find comfort and freedom in the voice of truth. And as we encourage one another, like that wonderful man did to me, that we could receive it. That we could actually hear it and say, yes. Instead of trying to dismiss it because you know that you're still broken. So, what, again, it's my story. I, I know it may be a little bit weird, and I may not have, like, theological backing. <laughs> but it's my story. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your story is going to be. But I do know this. That the invitation is there. He's handing you the key to say, let me show you how you can see yourself the way I see you let me take you down this journey. We can go there together. So whether you are a long-time believer like I have been, whether you are here and you are adamantly against God, the invitation is still there because he's willing to contend with your idolatry. He's willing to contend with your doubt. So the invitation is there. And for some of you, It may just be even the recognition that there are lies in your head. That there are voices that are trying to tell you things that are not true about you. And so some of you you just need to receive it. And so we're going to go into a time of communion right now. And we say often around here, you know, that this is a practice that we do for those of us that have surrendered our lives to Christ and identified ourselves with with Him. And we say, if you don't believe in Christ, that you don't have to participate. And, and that's not an elitism thing. It's not like, oh, I haven't been able to achieve a status yet. It, it's really just simply saying, like, hey, there's some, there's some context that we share as of why we do that. It'd be like as, as if all of us were, you know speaking Spanish, and we invited somebody that couldn't speak Spanish to say, hey, come, just come and start speaking Spanish. And I'm like, I can't. I'm not, I'm not there yet. And so it's not out of elitism. It's not out of that. It's simply saying, like, hey, this is something that we have, at a heart level, really surrendered ourselves to, and we remember that. We need to be reminded of that, and that's why we participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as it's represented in these elements of his body and his blood. But for everyone, whether you believe or not, I want to invite you uh, to come up and take a key. In these little boxes around the room, there's just a little blank key. And I want this to be a reminder of the invitation to unlock the door, to see yourself the way Jesus sees you. To begin to maybe even interact in a new way with him. So, again, you don't have to believe, or you could be a longtime believer. I don't care, but I want you to take this as a reminder of the invitation. <coughs> what you do with this is up to you. Some of you might be saying, Great, I needed a key, I'll go get it cut. <laughs> That's fine. Some of you may need to uh, keep this someplace visible. I know I was talking to somebody after the last service, and he said, you know, I'm going to take my file, and I'm going to start making etch marks in this for every high and low that I've had in my life to kind of represent the ups and downs. And the unique thing about a lock and a key is that all the etch marks in a key need every up and down in order to unlock it. Your, your failures, your mistakes, your lows are part of the story that's going to unlock the door. So what you do with this is up to you. And as we participate and as we um, celebrate communion as well, I would just encourage you to maybe even think of somebody that needs one. And you know, We had somebody last service say, she took five because she's like, I'm giving two of these to my boys, one... One for me, one for another family member, and one for her husband. She says, I'm going to send him a letter with the key in it. So again, what you do with it is up to you. But let's uh, respond to the invitation. You know, in that video clip, as, as funny as it was, we had these different responses. Delmer, he didn't even need to be invited. He just went running. Everett, some of you may be like Everett, where you're going to explain it away. Say, that's ridiculous. Who needs that? There's other ways around it. As, as he said, there's bigger fish to fry. And some of you might be like Pete. Pete needed to see it unfold and be invited. He watched Delmer go down, and he, Delmer came back and said, come on in, boys. The water is fine. And Pete went running. So, some of you, you, we have everything and probably more represented here. But I would encourage you to engage and to respond. So, let's pray. God, I'm so thankful and grateful for just time and space to be able to engage, to be able to look to you in an honest way, look at ourselves honestly respond to you honestly, that we can uh, stop pretending, that we can take off the burden of pretense and performance and simply come to you messy, simply come to you with the recognition that there have been lies that we've believed and we need your power and strength to contend with those lies. God, I pray that your voice of truth will become louder than the voice of the lies. Help us to see ourselves the way we see you. Excuse me, the way you see us, God. Make that true of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.